Hello, and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Oncology Podcast. I'm your host, Jervis Constanzo. Today's episode features Dr. Isabel Reiko-Card from the Centre Leon Bar of the Université Claude Bernard in Lyon, France, and Dr. Anna Ockning from Valdebron University Hospital and Institute of Oncology in Barcelona, Spain. They will be discussing new clinical trial data for individual ovarian and cervical cancers that were presented at the 2023 European Society of Medical Oncology, ESMO, Annual Congress, held in Madrid, Spain. This episode is part of a larger educational program entitled Key Findings and Expert Recommendations in Gynecological Ligancies, Independent 2023 Conference Congress Coverage. For more information on Dr. Rick Carr and Dr. Opening, along with a link to the complete program, including a downloadable slide set and clinical commentaries, please visit the show notes for this episode. Now, let's get started and hear what the experts have to say about the key data presented at the 2023 ESMO Annual Conference. Hello, my name is Isabel Recoca. I'm a, a medical oncologist, professor of oncology, the president of the Gineco Group, I'm working in the Centre Léon Bérard and University Claude Bernard in Lyon, France. It's my great pleasure to be joined today by my distinguished colleague, but also very good friend, Dr. Hannah Wagtin, who is a professor and head of gynecology cancer program at Val University Hospital and Institute of Oncology in Barcelona, Spain. Welcome, Dr. Joaquin. Thank you, Dr. Rekuka. It's really my great pleasure to be here with you today. Today, we will be alighting for you data from key studies that were presented at the 2023 European Society of Medical Oncology Congress for Gynae Cancer in Madrid, Spain. We will share with you our view, opinion, and takeaway of key data presented live for endometrial, ovarian, and cervical cancer. Some with the potential to change the current practice, including for the phase three ATEN trial of the addition of atezolizumab to carboplatin packet axel with or without atezolizumab maintenance in advance or recurrent endometrial cancer, but also the phase three DOE trial of the addition of durvalumab to carboplatin paclitaxel followed by durvalumab endometrial cancer, but also the phase 3 keynote A18 evaluating pambrolizumab with current chemotherapy and radiotherapy in patients with locally advanced cervical cancer, the phase 3 of induction chemotherapy followed by chemoradiation therapy versus chemotherapy therapy alone interlaced, and also the BCC trial reporting the efficacy of atezolizumab in combination with bevacizumab and chemotherapy in advanced relapse cervical cancer. I will start with endometrial uh, cancer, and I will immediately move in the ATEN trial. It is an NGOT mango lead trial we explore this efficacy of atezolizumab, a PDL1 inhibitor, in combination with the standard of care carboplatin paclitaxel for patients with advanced, newly diagnosed or recurrent endometrial carcinoma. 
This patient received this combination in this large phase three randomization two to one, and uh, we explored the PFS as the primary endpoint in the DMMR population, followed by the PFS in the uh, ITT population, and overall survival are also a primary endpoint. In terms of patient characteristic, it is what we anticipate in this population. There is close to 25% of patients with a DMMR statue. The majority of the patients are in the recurrent setting. The majority of the patients were naive of prior chemotherapy. And in terms of representativity, there is a several histologic possibly included in this trial, including carcinosarcoma, but also clear cell carcinoma, undifferentiated. We have seen also that in this trial, we have close to 20% of the patients with population. And they also explore the PDL1 expression in this population. 25% of the patients are PDL1 positive, but also ALD1. The primary endpoint was the PFS in the DMMR population. And we see another ratio of 0.36 in the population with a great benefit for the combination. Looking to the all-commerce population, again, the other ratio is positive with another ratio of 0.74. Also, we have a median follow-up of 28 months in this clinical trial. The data considering the overall survival in the DMMR population is also positive with another ratio of 0.4. 41, and meaning that we are able to avoid 60% of deaths using this combination in this particular population. In the ITT population, the overall survival, the other ratio is 0.82 and did not reach uh, the statistical significance. Also, uh, the data maturity is only 43%, and we see uh, that 25% uh, of the patients in this population receive uh, uh, immune therapy in the subsequent lines of treatment. In terms of uh, exploratory analysis, the author report the uh, PMMR uh, results for PFS and OS, and we don't see a huge benefit to have atezolizumab in this uh, population uh, of, uh, of patients. Looking to the response rate and the duration of response, again, the results were particularly evident in the DMMR population in terms of response, but more importantly, in terms of duration of response. In the PMMR population, there is no difference in terms of response rate or duration of response. The analysis in the subgroup for PFS report activity in the majority of the subgroup with a huge efficacy in the DMMR population. And looking to the overall survival, again, the majority of the subgroup are in favor of the combination compared to chemotherapy load. However, the author notes that Asian population seems to have less efficacy than the other population, but it is a subgroup analysis. We also see for overall survival a huge benefit in the DMMR population compared to a PMMR population, and also perhaps better efficacy in the PDL1 positive population. Considering the safety profile, there is no significant information to report. It is what we anticipate with PDL1 inhibitor. And finally, we have percent of grade three and more treatment-related adverse events in line with the chemotherapy and in line with what we anticipate for this population. Now, moving to the second 
Phase 3, the duo e-trial exploring Durvalumab plus chemotherapy followed by Durvalumab plus or less olaparib as a maintenance therapy in the same population of patients. The primary endpoint in this trial is also the progression-free survival and overall survival will be reported. The patient characteristics are what we anticipate in this population with 20% of DMMR. And in this trial, we see a benefit statistically and clinically significant to add olaparib and durvalumab to standard of care chemotherapy. Also, we see a difference between the maintenance, the duo maintenance versus durvalumab alone. The results were concordant in all the subgroup analysis looking to Durva versus control, but also Durva plus olaparib versus chemotherapy. And in terms of subgroup analysis, we see that finally of olaparib to Durvalumab in the DMMR population did not seem to bring some benefit compared to a Durvalumab alone, that it is not the case for the PMMR population, which seems to be the best population to receive this dual maintenance therapy. In terms of overall survival, it is not completely mature, but we see a trend in favor of the dual maintenance versus the Durva monotherapy, but we need to wait for more maturity to conclude. The safety is as we anticipate, Olaparib had more toxicity compared to immunotherapy alone. Also, it seems completely acceptable because at the end, we don't see so many patients who stop the treatment for toxicity is 10% in the maintenance setting for olaparib, 8% for durvalumab, and 40% altogether. Again, it is what we anticipate. We have more anemia, more neutropenia and nausea adding olaparib to uh, durvalumab versus control. In terms of grade 3, as I mentioned before, we don't see something new in this population. And we consider that it would be interesting, particularly in the PMMR population or more detailed subgroup we can discuss later. In ovarian cancer, we report the Bouquet trial that it is a very innovative uh, design dedicated to rare tumor, rare ovarian cancer, who are particularly resistant to standard of care. And the patient receive a biomarker testing using FMI platform. And looking to the abnormality, we are able to receive several targeted treatment or combination. Today, they have reported the cobimitinib results and atezolizumab plus BEV results. We see that the majority of the patients, including the cobimetinib, as we anticipate, low-grade serous, but also mucinous cancer patients. The safety profile of the cobimetinib in this trial is perfect. It's also the same for atezobev. Considering the efficacy of cobimetinib, we see some activity, particularly in the low-grade serous ovarian cancer and mesonephric-like adenocarcinoma, where we see that the duration of the control rate is close to 90% in this population with a long duration of response. For atezobev, we don't see a huge efficacy in terms of response rate. However, we have to note that 75% of the patients are free of progression at six months using this combination, that it is something interesting in this population, particularly resistant to a standard of care. This is what I would like to share with you for endometrial and cervical cancer. Thank you, Professor Rekukar. I think you have really 
nicely summarize uh, the key trials and the key data for the Indomitian ovarian cancer presented in the in the ESMO meeting. Uh, what is clear for me right now is that the endometrial cancer treatment landscape is rapidly evolving, and I don't think paclitaxel carboplatin will be the standard of care any longer. With this idea in mind, let me ask you two important questions. One of them is related with the ATTEN trial. We already learned from the Rubian 018 that both Dostarlimab and Pembrolizumab improved the data from paclitaxel carboplatin. And in these two trials, the duration of maintenance therapy is limited to uh, approximately two years for pembrolizumab, approximately three years for uh, dosparlimab. However, in the ATEN trial, the duration of atezolizumab is until progression or unacceptable toxicity. So the tricky question for you, do you really think that we should maintain our patients until progression or toxicity, or should we better give the therapy only for a period of time? It is a very smart question, right? Probably we have the opportunity to explore several options. Right now, it's not direct comparison and possibly for patients with no residual disease and complete response, prolonging the maintenance therapy will be complex for the physician and also for the patient. However, for patients who will have stable disease, probably will be in favor to maintain the pressure using immune therapy. But I agree with you right now, using immune therapy, a fixed duration of maintenance will be for sure interesting for the patient. Another important question. I think that this is also another tricky question. So you have shown us in the duo all that I would like to remark that is the first trial that report data incorporating a PAR inhibitor as maintenance therapy in endometrial cancer phase three randomized trial. So you have shown and in the PMR there's a benefit to adding olaparib to durvalumab to paclitaxel carboplatin compared with the standard of care with a hazard ratio 0.57. Do you think that upon regulatory approval Olaparib plus Durva plus chemotherapy should be the standard of care for all those patients who are PMR. Could you elaborate a little bit that? It is a, a complex question you answer, you ask Anna, because in the trial, the PMMR is the stratification factor. Also, PMMR is finally a negative biomarker. That means you are not DMMR. And in this basket, we have a lot of differences. We have P53 mutated patients. We have NSMP population. We include ER positive, ER negative patients. And possibly we can be able to upgrade the quality of the definition of this subgroup of patients. And what we have seen with Utola is that P53 is probably interesting to be more selective in this population, perhaps an homologous recombination deficiency test adapt to endometrial carcinoma would be also something interesting in the future. But I agree with you, this PMMR population continue to be an heterogeneous population. So I don't know at the end what the authorities will decide because right now it is the stratification factor, but I will be personally in favor to continue to work on that better 
define this population. Thank, thanks, Rekukar, for answering my question in a very clever manner. So now it's time to move to cervical cancer. And I would like to say that this year in ESMO 2023 has been the year of cervical cancer. We have two phase three randomized locally advanced cervical cancer and two important trials in the recurrent metastatic cervical cancer. I will start reviewing the trial developed in the locally advanced setting. And just in order to set the scene, as very well, the standard of care that we have right now in our daily practice was established in 1999. So since then, there are no advances in the treatment of locally advanced cervical cancer. So I think we can congratulate all the authors for bringing this new data. So let me start with the trial keynote AAT, NGOT CX11, GOG347. This is a phase three randomized travel, double blind placebo control that enrolled in patients. You see a large number of patients. The key characteristic of this trial is all patients were considered high-risk locally advanced. Why high-risk? Because all patients must have either positive lymph node, either pelvic or paraortic positive lymph node, or stage 3 of 4A. Then the patients were randomized to a standard care, as you know very well, concurrent chemoradiation, weekly cisplatin with radiotherapy plus brachytherapy, or experimental arm. The experimental arm was adding pembrolizumab concurrent with chemoradiation, followed as pembrolizumab as maintenance for 15 cycles. Important primary endpoint, PFS for viruses and overall survival. And then in order to understand this trial, once again, I would like to stress the population. The population is very important because in the keynote A18, the author enrolled a variety of population, a variety of races, white, Asian, America. It means that this trial, this outcome can be extrapolated across the world. In addition, the PDL1 status is always a key point to discuss in cervical cancer trial. And what have we learned from the keynote 18 that 94% of the patients have tumor PDL1 positive. So this raised the question whether PDL1 status is really a good biomarker, but it's not the point here. And then the number of patients with positive lymph node was approximately 80%. It means a high risk population. And so the outcome was very nice. You know, it's the first time in a long time that a trial showed an improvement in PFS for this population. When you look at the two 24 month rate, it was. 57% patients were alive and free of progression in the standard app compared with 67.8 in the experimental, an improvement of 10%. But I would like to stress that the median PFS has not yet been reached. It means we need a, a still a longer follow-up to see better outcome because right now the median follow-up is around 18 months. What about the overall survival? Overall survival is a very important co-primary endpoint in the locally advanced setting. In the keynote A18, they show a positive trend because the data are still very immature. And you know very well that with immunotherapy, 
we need long follow-up in order to make the benefits. So I am still positive that the overall survival will be also positive for this uh, trial. I only want to summarize that the addition of pembrolizumab to the concurrent chemo radiation didn't jeopardize the standard of care, the use of weekly cisplatin with radiotherapy. The main concern was the incident of diarrhea. And then when we see the treatment-related adverse event, we, say, we saw that the incident of diarrhea was similar in both. So the other important trial, the interlaced trial, is, I think is key to understand the differences between the, in the two trials because now we are facing a new standard of care in this setting and we need to determine which patients are better for one approach and for another approach. What about the interlace? Interlace established the induction chemotherapy. It means six doses of weekly paclitaxel and carboplatin previous to concurrent chemoradiation. But what about the population that was enrolled interlaced trial. It was a population that we cannot define high-risk locally advanced. It was locally advanced, but not all patients had positive lymph node. Indeed, when we look at the patient baseline characteristic, 57 of the patients were negative in terms of, of lymph node. They didn't have positive lymph node. And another important point, in the previous trial, I said that the author included a lot of a variety of rises. In this trial, interlace, 75% of the population came only from United Kingdom and 20% from Mexico. So then the patient received six cycles, weekly cycles of paclitaxel carboplatin, and then the patient were receiving concurrent chemoradiation. It was the experimental arm and the standard arm with concurrent chemoradiation. Another key difference with the keynote 18, only 500 patients were randomized. The good news that the trial was also positive. The addition of induction chemotherapy improved PFS with a hazard ratio of 0.65. And in addition, very important as well, the trial showed a positivity in terms of overall survival with a hazard ratio of 0.65. 0.61. And let me tell you something, a different with the keynote 18 is that interlaced trial had a longer follow-up and they have been able to report the overall survival rate of five years. And it was 72% for the concurrent chemoradiation and 80% in the experimental with induction chemotherapy. So two positive trials, two positive trials that are going to change the standard of care in the locally advanced cervical cancer. Unfortunately, still patient relapse, and then we need to provide them with an effective systemic therapy. We have learned in ESMO the BCC outcome. The BCC out trial is a name JGOG 10A4 GOG 33. So the objective of the BCC trial was to determine if the addition of atezolizumab anti-PDL1 therapy to a standard of care established by GOG240, namely bevacizumab plus chemotherapy, will improve the outcome of our patients. So we randomized 410 patients with metastatic recurrent cervical cancer 
with a good performance status, and they were a randomized standard of care GOG240 arm plus atezolizumab in the experimental arm. Important co-primary endpoint, PFS, and overall survival. When we look at the baseline characteristic, is the typical baseline characteristic in the first line uh, trial for cervical cancer. Approximately 20% of the patient had metastatic disease at the, at, at the study uh, entry, and the rest of the patient had recurrent or persistent disease. Then with the median follow-up of approximately 32 months, we are able to show as the addition of atezolizumab to chemotherapy plus bevacizumab, improved PFS with a hazard ratio 0.62, and importantly, also improved overall survival with a hazard ratio 0.68. And let me tell you something, when you look at the overall survival and 24 months, it was 61% patients were alive with the combination of atezolizumab plus bevacizumab chemotherapy compared with 49% in the standard. And when we look at the results according to subgroup, as you can see, the benefit was consistent across important subgroup, taking into account the disease state of chemotherapy backbone and histology. And another important point is the safety summary. The addition of bevacizumab didn't increase the side effect compared with control arm. Mainly when you look at the rate of discontinuation was 15% in the atezolizumab arm compared with 16% in the control. This is first-line therapy, but what happened with the patient's progress after platinum-based therapy? Then we need to look for new options. And then the NESMO, the phase three Innova 301 has been presented. In this trial, the investigator compared the standard of care chemotherapy with the antibody that conjugate tisotumab bedotin. And in the phase two trial, tisotumab bedotin showed promising overall response rate and PFS. And this is the reason why this randomized trial was launched. I would like to point out in terms of patient baseline characteristics that approximately 27% of the patients had previously received immunotherapy. This is very important because as we have seen, we are moving immunotherapy either to locally advanced or first-line therapy. So having this population included in the trial is very important. And in addition, the number of previous line of chemotherapy in the trial was approximately 60% of the patients have received only one prior line of therapy. So what have we learned from this trial? We have learned that tisotumabvedotin is superior to chemotherapy in terms of overall survival with a hazard ratio 0.7. It means that the reduce the risk of death in 30%. One thing that we should stress Regarding tisotumab vedotip is the safety profile. There's adverse event of a special interest related with tisotumab vedotip, that is the eye toxicity or eye ocular event. So this is something that we should mitigate, implementing a specific measure as eye drop before the therapy, eye cold path before the therapy, and during therapy in order to reduce 
this event. But the bottom line is that the trial was positive and showed an improvement compared with chemotherapy. The result for chemotherapy after platinum therapy was very poor. So this is the main data from cervical cancer. I expect that you have been able to retain all this information. Thank you. Thank you very much for your marvelous summary, Dr. Awakin. I have two questions for you for the important results you, you bring to us. First of all, considering the relapse setting, as we have the access to semiplimab for patients post-platinum-based chemotherapy adding BEV, how do you organize the choice of the second treatment for cervical cancer? Now we have seen the TISO results. Thank you, Professor Rekuka. I mean, this is a very important question. The first thing is that in the semiplimab trial, all patients were naive for immunotherapy. It means that the patient have not received previous IOs. If the patient has received previous IO in a clinical trial or in the daily practice, there is no doubt that one option is to receive isotumab after progression. But those patients who have not received IO, this is the key group of patients. Honestly, I think that the outcome for immunotherapy in cervical cancer, and when we look at the shape of the car from the semiplimab trial and tisotumabedotib, it seems that the effect of semiplimab, we say, lasts longer in a better way. So then I think that I should try firstly semiplimab for those patients naive and secondly tisotumabedotib. The only group of patients for which I would start with tisotumab vedotin will be those patients who need a quick response because as you know very well, in immunotherapy takes longer to screen the tumor. So then in this group that needs a rapid response, I would start with tisotumab vedotin. Another question, moving to the first line setting in the locally advanced, you report the six eleven. A18 results, but also the interlace phase three. How do you imagine the future? Uh, we combine the data to define the base standard of care for cervical cancer patients. Are they the same patients included in both trials? Yeah, a very good question. Very so, as I summary, in interlace trial, 57% were negative. Note it means that there's a population of less risk compared with the keynote 18. So, until we read and we review the paper for interlace and we will learn what happened with the group of patients with positive lymph node, I think that for in the daily practice or for regulatory approval for patients with either pelvic or paraortic lymph node, they should receive a pembrolizumab as part of the concurrent chemo radiation. What happened with those patients who are not positive lymph node and they are stage 2 and stage 1b? These patients were enrolled in both trials, so then we need to see the subgroup results in order to determine what will the best approach. Because when you look at the forest pros for the keynote AT, this group of patients seems not to have the same benefit compared with those who are a positive paraortic or pelvic lymph node. So I think, you know, the key point in order to determine what is the best approach is the 
uh, positivity for the lymph node. But for sure, I would like to review the paper for interleukin because I think that there's still missing information that we need to have in order to determine which group of patients will benefit most from having chemotherapy as induction therapy. Thank you very much for your answer, uh, Dr. Ankin, and I agree very much how I think about this trial. Thank you also for this great discussion today. It's always a pleasure to have some discussion with you and the clarity of what you are saying. Before we leave, I want to remind the listener that the slide associated with this discussion on key new data presented at the 2023 ESMO Annual Congress are now available on the CCO website. I hope our listeners have found this discussion educational and entertaining and that it can help to inform their clinical practice. Thank you for joining us and goodbye. Thank you very much, Dr. Opening and Dr. Rick Farr, and thanks to you, the listeners, for joining us today. As a reminder, review the full program, key findings, and expert recommendations in gynecologic malignancies, independent 2023 conference progress coverage, and to download a highlights slide set, including the various studies associated with this discussion, please click on the link in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening.